Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. Well, after a rear loss to England and a wobbly win over South Africa, the Silver Ferns don't appear to be in the best shape, do they? So they build up to next year's Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. On Sunday, they play Australia in Invercargill in their final match of the Quad Series. The former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering doesn't believe current coach Janine Southby's taking the right approach, though, using the series to develop players. When Willering says what they need to be doing is winning. Well, we're joined now by Yvonne Willering. Just first off, your, your general thoughts. What have you made of the first couple of tests for the Silver Ferns, uh, the sort of wobbles against South Africa and then falling over against England? Yeah, and that just shows you that both South Africa and England um, certainly weren't just one-game wonders. You know, I think that they've shown a lot more consistency. Um, and I think the word that worries me is that's being used, and it's being used both in the Australian and the New Zealand camp, is the word development. And they're, they're both those countries are looking forward towards the Commonwealth Games, and that's why they've got a squad rather than just a team. Whereas both South Africa and England, it is very much about the present. And to me, it should be about the present. I mean, your development work should be done through your franchise competition anyway. I think the team that plays in the Constellation Cup, I think you'll find that that probably will be the, our most experienced Silver Ferns lineup leading into the Commonwealth Games. I think they're very aware of the fact, though, that the, the Commonwealth Games is before the, um, the ANZ uh, Premiership next year. And I think that's why both the, you know, New Zealand and Australia are, in fact, using part of this as a bit of an experimentation to see who can uh, basically you know, come up to scratch. Do you think it's simply about England and South Africa improving or are there real concerns over the the state of New Zealand and Australian netball, or the Silver (laughs) Ferns especially, as to maybe they've gone backwards? Yeah, it's a bit of both, actually. I definitely think that uh, England and South Africa, they've really benefited from players being, you know, in the New Zealand or the Australian or the English competition. In fact, you know, with the um, the English team, you know, I think about nine players actually play in either the ANZ Premiership over in Australia. And you can see that's really benefited them. And now with England having had the win, they now know also what it takes to win. But more importantly, the feeling that you get, you know, with the win. I mean, Corbyn was interviewed after the game and you just couldn't get the smile off her face so you know they finally experienced that because we've always been critical of England that they can never basically finish off a game. New Zealand and Australia at the moment um, yeah I think that um, certainly you know with the, without Maria Tutaia I think it was a different combination but I think we need to have different combinations we just can't rely on one or two individuals uh, in a team and I actually thought that Selby Ricketts performed with credit so I don't certainly don't see it was her her fault that, you know, New Zealand ended up with the score that they did. But, uh, you know, even Australia had to put Bassett on in that final quarter, you know, in order to come to the party against South Africa. So a bit of concern there, probably more defensively than on attack. And I think both teams have acknowledged that. 
Because simply relying, like you say, on one player, I mean, Maria Tutaya is about the only one that, that would come back and obviously sorely missed. But there's not a not a rush of experienced players that are coming back. That Those those players are gone. Yeah, New Zealand has selected a squad, but and probably just as well they did in the end, because both uh, Jury and Cullen have been brought into this series, and they really weren't supposed to play until the tiny Jamison trophy. But you've still got your Rasmussen and your Whakahokotau. Rasmussen in particular, very experienced player, you know, and probably her leadership was missing. And, uh, you know, I think that leadership where someone takes control, you know, is, is critical to the game. The comment out of Australia earlier this month was that the Silver Ferns won't even make the Commonwealth Games final. On some of the, the match play that we've seen, that, that might be a fair statement. Uh, no, I don't buy that. I mean, that's cute, but no, I don't buy that because, you you know, we're looking at Australia and at the moment, uh, you know, they're also not playing to their full potential, you know, and I know that uh, Laura Geis is coming back in the team at some stage. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just more a situation. We are focusing on the comm games and not on our present uh, situation. And we actually need to get back and just nail the, the present situation. But, you know, you put your top seven uh, from the Ferns on and uh, you've got pretty formidable sides. So, uh, yeah, we've got combinations out there at the moment that um, aren't gelling as well. Uh, but I expect, you know, the first to improve with every game. And I'll tell you, after the Constellation Cup uh, in October, just where, you know, everyone thinks that we sit leading into the Commonwealth Games. So expect more of the same development-wise for Sunday, Australia versus the Silver Ferns? Well, it's going to be an interesting clash, isn't it? I mean, Australia obviously in the box seat now uh, because if, even if New Zealand wins, it's going to come down to goal differential. Um, but really, I don't think it should be about that. It should be about everyone taking responsibility out on court. And if you have a look at, you know, when you're looking at the number of test caps, you know, we don't have quite as many as others. Uh, and some are online. We've, yeah, we've got to get those. Um, we've had a huge reliance on some of our experienced players in the past. This is now the team we have and the team, I believe, common games will be selected uh, from this whole squad so uh, yeah it's up to the players not to see it as a trial situation but just to basically show why they are silver ferns Uh, and yeah I expect to see an improvement leading into the game against Australia. I mean how much of a concern would it be that suppose they lose to Australia you you come away from the quad series then with two losses and, and a wobbly win? Then you've got the Constellation Cup to nail it, you know, and I think that's the, I think that's when um, the Ferns would need to put on their best lineup, you know, and not just give players opportunities out on court. You've got to basically go out there, and I think that the New Zealand public in particular is going to demand a win, but probably more uh, demand, you know, peak performance, and I think that, you know, that has been lacking, um, and that is something they, they, they have to nail it by the end of the year. I was talking there to former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering. New Zealand cricket expects more players to follow black cap Mitch McLennigan's lead and opt out of national contracts in pursuit of 2020 riches. The left-arm pace bowl has been released from his New Zealand cricket contract this week so that he can be considered for new 2020 competitions in South Africa and the Big Bash League in Australia. New Zealand cricket's high-performance manager is Brian Strollick and he says the situation highlights the changing cricket landscape. It's one of those things where the the amount of these T20 competitions popping up around the world is, is just increasing all the time. So the options for players is becoming more and more. So it, it could potentially happen uh, more definitely. And I, and I think Mitch could be the start of something. But um, 
but yeah, it's it's just the reality of where cricket's going in the future. I think. I, I suppose too. It also shows how lucrative those deals are. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I, I mean, we we cannot compete from a from a money point of view around how much we pay these guys um, by any stretch of the imagination. The some of the money that. They're uh, they're being offered is uh, yeah is definitely up there. So um, no, it's, it's definitely not. We're not going to go toe for toe um, with these competitions around that for sure. So does that make it even more difficult for countries like New Zealand, who obviously don't pay as much as the likes of your England or, or Australia contract wise? D- does that make them, I suppose, better fodder for, for some of these competitions? Uh, potentially. Uh, I mean, I I just think we need to be smarter around it. Um, uh, the the obvious way to uh, to tackle these things is to go head to head and and make the stance around you're either playing T20 um, franchise cricket or you're playing for your country. Now we're kind of looking at it slightly different than that, um, and we have to because um, we just don't have the the depth or the money to be able to go down that line. And and I think we can get it ends up being a win win situation as it as it has ended up for Mitch and us. So, so how would that work? Well, I think we just need to be flexible around that. Like in, in this case, Mitch is definitely eligible to, to still play for New Zealand, um, even though he's, he's off um, playing in these competitions. Yes, it means he doesn't get the support um, that our centrally contracted players get, but there's definitely the eligib- eligibility to be able to play for New Zealand and be selected for the Black Caps. I won't, we won't hide behind the fact that it does make it harder for him to be selected um, to prove himself. Uh, for example, if he if he wants to play Test match cricket and he's not playing um, any four day cricket, it, it makes it hard for him to prove himself. But he's he's still eligible, and we can be we're flexible around that rather than making a, a hard and fast rule that you're either contracted to New Zealand and you can be selected, or you're not. Presumably, though, too, you're gonna you'd have a coach that would want to see continuity and being able to have a group of players for a set period of time rather than them flitting in and out uh yeah yep and i think that's something that we wouldn't um i suppose we wouldn't negotiate around in terms of that consistency of being part of the international team um but having said that there are opportunities and it does help our program and help our development with these guys playing in these competitions um, the experience they get through playing around the world is is pretty vital to us. We we perform really really well in our own conditions. We're performing better in overseas conditions, but we're still not as as well as we'd like. So it does it does um, have some benefits for New Zealand cricket as well. The New Look New Zealand rowing squad's putting together its final preparations on Lake Karapiro ahead of the World Champs in Florida later this month. New Zealand has 13 boat classes competing, but for the first time in many years, the squad doesn't include multiple and Olympic world champions Mahi Drysdale, Hamish Bond and Eric Murray. Drysdale's just returning to training after a year off, while Murray has retired, and Bond, well, he's now uh, in cycling. He's off to the World Road Cycling Champs in Norway next month. The new star at the squad seems to be single sculler Robbie Manson, who set a world best time at a World Cup event earlier this year. He spoke to Rory Newsom about his meteoric rise and revealed he's battling a rib muscle strain. Well, I'm out of the boat at the moment, um, and I have been for the last two weeks, uh, but um, it's healing well, so I'm slowly 
starting to reintroduce a bit of load into it. Um, but I've been keeping fit on the bike, so I certainly haven't lost any fitness. Is that something that you uh, you had at the World Cup, or is that something that's uh, come in between times? Um, it's something that happened straight after Poznan. So uh, I was out of the boat for about two weeks while I was in Europe earlier in the year and um, raced with it or with a similar injury at Lucerne. Um, I had four or five days back in the boat before I raced there and then sort of come back and it's sort of never really 100% gone away so it's been in the background but it's just sort of flared up uh, two or three weeks ago. So you can race with it? Um, I'm like ho- Hopefully it's healing at the moment so um, hopefully it'll be uh, better by the time I do get back in the boat and race. I mean, is there a chance that it could de- derail your um, your uh, your tilt in the world uh, world champs? Uh, there is a slight chance, but I'm confident that it won't. Um, I'm confident that it's healing well, and at this stage, uh, everything looks like it's um, yeah set to go well. Obviously, it's something you've you've dealt with for with a while for a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you feel um, you've uh, placed after those World Cup events earlier in the year when you you know you had a really good showing with that that world fastest time? Um, yeah, obviously I um, I'm really happy with how I went at the World Cups. It, it exceeded um, what I thought I could do um, sort of at the beginning of the year before I went over there. So um, yeah, on that note, it's really good. I. Um, I did do some fast times in training before I went to Europe, so that gave me a lot of confidence. And then um, I went over and pretty much did what I'd been doing in training. Um, and then had a little bit of a difficult build-up for Lucerne and still managed to come away with a win. So um, I imagine that the the build-up to World Champs will be much the same as it was to Lucerne, except um, hopefully I'll have a little bit longer in the boat. Have you been able to match that World Cup time? Um, well, I've, I haven't done any uh, training like that uh, since the World Cups. Like it's sort of been back to the to the long hard training. We don't do a lot of racing um, at this time, so um, it won't be till I get to the World Champs whether I'll know whether I'm still going that fast or not. But I'm confident that I will be. This is the World Champs, but do you have half an eye on the future? thinking about trying to secure that that's that single skull boat through to all the next olympics um i think at this stage i'm just focusing on the world champs and trying to do the best job um i can there and try and get over this injury niggle um i guess i'll cross that bridge when it comes to that but um yeah i've sort of i've enjoyed the last few summers like we're always competing for spots um whether it's been in the quad or the double and now the single so um, yeah, I don't imagine that it'll, that'll be too much different to any other summer that I've had. There must be that, that, that spectre of Mahi looming in the background, though. He's talking about coming back over the summer, so uh, do you think you could fend him off? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm uh, confident with how I've gone this year that um, I'll be pretty fast over the summer and pretty hard to beat. How do you feel about carrying that single skull legacy onto the World Champs, you know, that uh, the Rob Waddell, the Mahi Drysdale... Uh, crown that's uh, you have to cut. Um, I think it's a it's a pretty exciting prospect and um, something I'm very honoured to be able to do and hopefully I can do it justice because obviously um, 
Maha and Rob have created a a pretty big legacy to live up to. Um, so yeah, like there is that um, I guess sort of expectation and stuff as well. But then I guess whenever we compete, like we've always put a lot of expectation on ourselves to perform. So um, there's nothing out of the ordinary. Robbie Manson talking to Rory Newsom. Well, the world champion Black Ferns arrived back in the country this week with the Rugby World Cup, having beaten England in the final in Belfast. Beans New Zealand now holds the Women's and Men's World Cup and the Under-20 Men's World Cup and the Women's 7 Series title. Jesse Chan was at Auckland Airport to greet the triumphant Ferns. The welcome had all the markings of a great party. Drums, music, lays and family and friends. About 500 supporters packed the Auckland Airport Arrivals Hall to greet the victors, including students from Rutherford College and a Cook Island drum group, Te Maru o Toi. They were chanting and singing a waiata before the Black Ferns, who had been flying for more than 24 hours, walked out. Team captain Fia Orfa Mausili says the welcome was surreal, but less than 48 hours after their World Cup win, it's still sinking in. I'm just happy that the, the girls that have come into the side, this is their first World Cup and that they've come away with the Cup, so that means everything to me that I get to see the young girls actually achieving their goals um, of achieving their first World Cup. She says she had faith the Black Ferns would come out on top from the first whistle. The first half was tough, but... Um, we made it tough for ourselves and so that was what was said in the changing rooms is just play our game and that's what we went back to and there's no minutes or seconds in that, in that game that I think that we were going to lose. I was, I was confident that even though England was ahead um, that we were going to come away with it. Ms Fa'amosili says it wasn't just a win for the team but a win for women's rugby that will no doubt grow because of it. Her sister, Etta Jones, was waiting eagerly at the airport. Our family are extremely proud, and um, I say family, extended, immediate, um, all of our friends that we call our families and consider our family have been a massive support, um, are all really, really proud of her and what she's achieved. For Portia Woodman, who was named the top tournament tri-scorer, this is her first World Cup title. She says she and her fellow team members didn't have to pay for the World Cup itself, but everything else has come at a significant personal financial cost. Getting to trainings, paying for gym membership, paying for boots, clothes, sponsorship, all the recovery stuff that we need, it's all on our own own hand. And it has to, it's like that for an amateur sport to get, you know, as we're getting started. So that's expected, but, you know, heading from now, we've got the World Cup for the fifth time, you know, we're looking for some some support from someone. Ms Woodman says her focus is now on the Sevens team leading up to the Commonwealth Games. And whilst Team New Zealand and the America's Cup in its Louis Vuitton case travelled first class on the flight home from Bermuda to Auckland in July, the Black Ferns may do with economy, tweeting last night their thanks to Emirates for allowing them to freshen up in their lounge. We flew economy, but that's the normal, that's the normal for us, so, which is, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Hopefully next World Cup will get you first class. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe even in business will be nice. Most of the players return today, but some of the team are still overseas enjoying a holiday. For Checkpoint, call Jesse Chang Jesse Chan with that report.
and rugby gathered to mourn the loss of the great Sir Colin Meads when he was farewelled this week with thousands turning out for his funeral in Tikawiti. Pine Tree died at the age of 81. Laura Tupo attended the funeral. Sir Colin Meads arrived at the Les Monroe Centre in a 1938 Plymouth hearse with the licence plate Pine T. Hundreds lined the street in silence as the procession through the Tekawiti Township came to an end. Mourners came from far and wide. Wangarei. This left, morning? Left at six this morning. He used to take us for trainings now and again, yeah. yeah. He used to tell us a few stories. Haingaro, they have plenty, and Des came from Pukehina. So what brought you here today? Um, a photo on the wall at Des's place, because in the photo is Colin and Des's father, who passed away this year as well, and another friend who passed away a few years ago. And, you know, we always looked at this photo, and, and when we'd heard he'd passed, Des said, I always wanted to go to his funeral, so because of his father, and, and so that's why we came. What school are you from? Um, we're from Wellesley and Eastbourne which is back in Wellington. So why did you make that long journey? We came here to um, to um, Sir Colin Mead's funeral and to give our respects to him. And what do you know about him? Uh, <laughs> he was great for history of rugby and he was, he was probably the best rugby player in the world. Pine Tree was carried in by family and friends with a Māori cloak nicknamed the Traveller draped over the front. His wife, Verna, looked on. His brother, Stan Meads, spoke, along with Sir Colin's daughter, Shelley Mitchell, and a heartfelt poem by 12 of his 14 grandchildren. When we were little, kids used to say, Oh, your granddad, he's a pretty good fella, eh? And we thought he was, and what kid would not, because he used to give us Nesquik milkshakes a lot. (laughs) Nah, that's not what I meant, the kids would say. My dad said he was the greatest back in his day. Down the road at Pine Tree's local Waititi Rugby Club, the mood was sombre. Men in their number ones watched a live stream of the service and two small pine trees stood at the entrance. Tonight, the club will play host to family, friends and fans. Local member George will be serving up cold ones. It's a time to reflect Colin's life and what a tea as a club. He's done a lot for us, so it's, it's good to give back to Colin and his family and um, just to have a beer and tell some stories and, and celebrate his life, really. Laura Tupo with that report. New Zealand's highest paid sports star Stephen Adams has been back home running basketball camps for youngsters. The Oklahoma City Thunder Centre was the centre of attention at the clinics, as you might expect. But the question everyone wanted to know was just how far off he is from playing for the Tall Blacks. Matt Chatterton reports. In four short years, Stephen Adams has gone from a New Zealand star to an NBA icon. Despite signing his mega $140 million deal with the Oklahoma City Thunder for the next four years... Adams keeps his feet firmly on the ground. His Stephen Adams camps are not only hugely popular, but it helps bring the sport he loves back to the New Zealand community. Today's media session was Adams' first and only while he's in the country, so naturally the topic everyone wanted to talk about was when he'll finally play for the Tall Blacks. Adams has never played for New Zealand, blaming the NBA's conflicting schedule with the international basketball window. Today, however, he revealed there's more to it. Adams says he wants to play for the Tall Blacks, 
but believes player development needs to be better from Basketball New Zealand. It can't be solely relied on just like one player. Like our system has got to be good. Otherwise, like, say if I didn't exist, it's like there's still a problem. Like we still need to produce these players. Though. So that's what that's what we're talking about, and like you know that's what we're working on. The person Adams is referring to is Tall Blacks coach Paul Hinare. He says the pair have a great relationship and has nothing but respect for him. He's an amazing coach, man, just a good fella. Um, that's all that really matters. We're, re- we're really, really lucky to actually have him as a, as, a, as a head coach for the national team, yeah. So does that mean he's any closer to finally playing for New Zealand? When the time's right, I'll throw it on, but there's all, obviously a lot of uh, spring cleaning that needs to be done, yeah, and he's doing an like, amazing job at it, you know what I mean? He has a vision of how he sees the Tall Blacks and how they want to play. He, want, he wants them to play, and he's fighting for that. And uh, you can only follow dudes who are that passionate, yeah. Adams is in the country for another week, headlining his own charity golf tournament in Auckland. After that, he'll head back to America for the new NBA season. Meanwhile, New Zealand will have to wait a little longer before we see Stephen Adams in black. Matt Chatterton with that report. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, you can catch all the sports news, latest results and everything else to do with sport on our website in the sports section of the RNZ website. And if you wish to email us, you can do so at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. On behalf of the Extra Time team, bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.